Good morning, everybody. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Matthew Ritzkis. I'm attending Miller College of the Bible right now, and I'm also a member of this church with you guys. So I'm going to be preaching on evangelism this morning, and it's something that's very close to my heart and God has been pushing me into more recently. So I'd like to start off with reading Matthew 28. Not the whole thing, but a few verses. (laughs) And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So as Christians, we know that we are called to evangelize. And it's not my goal this uh, morning to defend why we need to evangelize and then maybe throw some cool stories on there. Because when Jesus said to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, uh, we most likely know what he means. But then why is it so hard to evangelize and share about what God is doing inside these doors? And why is it so often not the, the life mission of more church attenders? Therefore, it's my aim this morning to bring to you the very thing that gets me excited about evangelism and brought me to evangelizing more. And it's the thing that when my heart feels so cold to others around me and I don't feel like having hard conversations, it reminds me of the lost in my life. And that's the heart of God. This morning I want our hearts to be united and aligned with God's heart. This is what I mean when I say that I want our hearts to be aligned with God's heart. What does God love? Who does God love? Do our hearts break for those who God cares so much deeply for that he would send his, di- send his son to die on the cross for us? God calls out to the Christian as Solomon does in Proverbs twenty-three twenty-six to his son. My son, give me your heart. And when our hearts are given to him, he does the work of a potter, molding them and shaping them into his son's likeness. The heart of God is missions-focused. It did not take long in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned before God cried out, Adam, where are you? Just as Jesus had the heart of his father when he came to earth to save the lost, he cried out in Gethsemane while sweating drops of blood, Father, if this cup can pass by me, but not what I will, but your will be done. It was no easy thing for Jesus to go to the cross But because he had the heart of his father, he submitted, doing the hard thing for the glory of God. In John 17, this is what he prays for his disciples and the disciples to come. I'll start in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them, even as you loved me. And so that's my desire for this morning. My prayer for this morning has been that our hearts would be so aligned with our fathers, that we can say, Lord, it's not what I want for my life, not my will, but Lord, what would make you glad? 
by the way that I live. So that's my preface for this morning's sermon. And I'd like to provide two passages of scripture that will better equip our hearts for serving him, especially in regards to evangelism. First, if you'll turn with me, I'll be in Matthew 25. This is the parable of the talents. So I'm not going to read the whole thing just because it's long, but I'll summarize parts of it and read other parts. So, it'll be like a man who goes on a journey and called his servants and entrusted to him his property. To the first servant, he gives five talents. And the footnote in my Bible says that a talent is worth about 20 years wages. So, yeah, for a laborer. So the first one, he gives five talents. To the second, he gives two. To the third, he gives one, and he goes away. The first servant goes and uh, trades with his money and makes five more. The second one does the same, but then the third one buries his talent in the ground. And then the master comes back to find his servants and sees what he's done with them, what they've done with them. The first one says, look, I've made five talents more, now I have 10. The second one says, well, I had two, now I have two more, now you have four. And the master says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a little. Now I will set you over much. Come, enter the joy of your father. Then he comes to the, uh, the third servant, seeing that he only had one buried in the ground. And this is what the servant says to his master when he, when he comes back. Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So those are very heavy words. But before we dig into it, I'd like to look a little bit at the context. So this is part of a bigger teaching section of Jesus's. So I'm going to read the headings in my Bible. They will probably look a little bit different than yours. I don't know. But I'm going to start in chapter 24. Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple, signs of the end of the age, the abomination of desolation, the coming of the Son of Man, the lesson of the fig tree. No one knows that day and hour, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, the final judgment. This is part of a larger section of prophecy and also teaching, where the common theme here is Jesus is saying, I'm going to be leaving for a while, and I'll come back at the appointed time, but what are you going to do while I'm gone? The parable is an encouragement and also a warning to be faithful servants in multiplying the talents and gifts entrusted to us. I'm now going to look at this passage from a different angle because my aim this morning is not to guilt people into evangelism, but as I said, to direct us to God's heart. So then, what does this parable tell us about God's heart? Notice the master's reply to his servant. 
You know that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. His heart is for us to invest and invest our money or talents, so to speak, and our gifts for the kingdom of God. He desires for the people who is, he has ransomed from death to be the very ones to carry out this gospel of life. For us who have been given the gospel, what are we doing with it? Is it ours to bury until a later day? Like a lamp, we might hide beneath a basket. But that's not why we gather here. Let us never lose our saltiness, because if salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it for? We have been given seed for sowing. And that's so often what the work of evangelism looks like. Scattering seed for our masters that he might reap a crop. We scatter the seed, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and do we, we do it tactfully, but God is the one who changes the hearts. It's like Paul wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, but God made the plant grow. So as seen through this section, it's both our duty, but also God's heart that we share the gospel with others. Because God wants to have a crop of believers that reaches all across the globe, including in swift current. So in part of what this looks like, as I said, scattering the seed tactfully. We don't want to be throwing things around and throwing our words around just, uh, you know, willy-nilly. So about a year and a half ago, I went on to jw.org. That's uh, like the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's also the most widely translated website on the internet. And I was just kind of reading through there, and there was a little button. It said, get in contact with us. Oh, okay, I will get in contact with these guys. So and I give them all my information. I didn't get scammed, luckily, but uh, about a day later, this guy calls me. He's like, do you actually want to talk with us? Like, yeah, I actually want to talk with you guys. So um, yeah, we continued to talk for about a month and a half or so. And I listened to what he had to say. He was very polite to listen to what I had to say. But something that I learned from that was it's... Evangelism is not about winning arguments with others, but instead it's pointing them to Christ. Um, he and I both, we could have just talked a, lot of, a long time about how we can read the Bible, but by the end of it I was realizing that that's not going to go anywhere if I'm not pointing him to Christ. And so instead I was able to share my testimony with him and I was able to show him what the power of Christ does in the hearts of people. And uh, that ended for a bit, and uh, I didn't slam that door shut or anything like that when I saw no progress, so if we ever want to, we can pick up our conversation probably right where we left off. But for now, I'm called to pray for him. Another part about scattering the seed tactfully is getting to know others. So this is more recently, but I was getting together with a Muslim man who I met at McDonald's. Him and his family were eating, so I came over with a free fries coupon and a New Testament. And uh, <laughs> I just kind of sat down with them, and then he came over to talk with me after. And he actually just moved to Ontario on Friday, so I can be praying for him. But we got together over the past few months. I think I went over there, I started in December, so just before Christmas. But anyways, we're talking about the Bible and the Quran, Islam, Christianity, 
And then I learned how to, to listen, and I found out that he grew up in Iran, and his language is Farsi. And so I got a Farsi Gospel of John, and I gave that to him, because it's very special to him, the language of Farsi. And so that's Persian, as we would call it. But um, the Gospel of John is close to me, and Farsi is close to him, so we kind of found a middle ground, I guess. But before that, we had been going through the Gospel of John, well, briefly, because he was trying to tell me that we had the same religion, but we got about to verse one in the Gospel of John. <laughs> so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he says, nope, no, that's, especially looking at verse 14, he's like, that's, that's not it. But then I, when I gave him this Gospel of John, he said, wow, that's, like, that's my language, because he hasn't been in Iran for 12 years. And so even on Friday, I was checking up with him, and he says, yes, I'm still reading that book that you gave me. It's, uh, I don't agree with everything, but it's very close to him. So learning to listen to others, that's a big part of evangelism. Hmm. I'd like to now point us to the second passage I had in mind for this. It's in Galatians 6, starting in verse 11. So what is the message that we have to bring to others? It can be so easy to throw around terms like I gave the gospel, shared my faith, uh, things like this. But what is it that we have to give? I feel like it'd be a disservice if I did not remind us all of this, that the message that we bring is a specific calls out of our mouths into the ears of real people. So, uh, beginning in verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order to force you to be circumcised, oh, sorry, and only in order that they may be, not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Christ Jesus our Lord, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Christ. Crucifixion, as you probably know, is the worst form of punishment devised by the Romans. It is not very pleasant. For Jesus, it started off as a mocking. They hit him. Prophesy, who hit you? Moved into a flogging. Flesh ripped off the bone of our Lord. From there, his strength was weakened, and they got him to carry the cross beam, that, that part there, up to the hill Golgotha, or the place of the skull. But he collapsed multiple times, and Simon the Cyrene had to carry it for him. There they put nails through his wrist, right in between those two tendons there, striking what we call the funny bone. It's the same nerve that goes through there. This, Paul writes, this is what we're going to boast in. 
and far be it from me to boast in anything except for this. This is very odd to people who are hearing this for the first time. Boast in crucifixion. When I'm going out to evangelize, I'm not giving away a self-help presentation or a your best life now. Jesus is calling me and you, come die, crucifixion with Christ. This makes our message very hard to swallow. Sir, lay down your life. Please, give me your heart. But that is just it. We lay down our lives for Jesus because he laid down his life for us. Because of that, when we lose our lives, that is when we truly find them. It does not stop at, sir, lay down your life. But instead, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Do not hold on to this fleeting vapor of what we call life, but take hold of that which is truly life, the life in Christ. Paul shows that he understands this when he writes that his body bears the marks of Christ. God has called us to give up not only our thought life to him, but our very being. Our physical bodies are given over to him. This contrasts with those false teachers he talks about, who in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They're unwilling to give up their hearts for God. They did not preach the truth so that they might not be persecuted. Close to a year ago, I reached out to one of my friends who I grew up with and he was very close to me and he had walked away from the faith. So I just wanted to see how he was doing. And it didn't take very long before I was talking about what I was learning in the Bible and he uh, became almost angry or annoyed and he began to uh, ask questions. What do you believe about this? What do you believe about this? This is why I hate the church. This is why I hate uh, people like you for their faith and stuff like that. And it's just very odd and very, very sad. But I had a choice to make. Am I going to water down what I'm saying in order that he doesn't hate the things that I'm saying or hate the message of the Bible? Or am I going to be faithful with what God has given me? For in Matthew 25, like it says, he who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. So I said what I needed to say and I said it in love. And I trust the results with the one who's going to be making the crop grow. And so that's not happening at the moment, but we pray for him. We don't want to be like those false teachers who avoided the word so that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so then, that is the work of the evangelist. Death to the world so that we might win Christ and win others for Christ. And if we follow in Christ's footsteps, we too will bear the marks of Christ, both inwardly and outwardly. The cost of discipleship is the cross of Christ. But thanks be to God that he makes the burden light. As he says in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you for my burden is light. So now I'd like to bring this to my closing remarks of how do we live this out? There might be several different camps in this room. I do not know where most of you are at in your evangelism efforts. Maybe there are things that are keeping you back from evangelism. Or maybe you haven't thought about it. 
Or maybe you are one who is actively pursuing the lost who you come into contact with. Wherever you might be, I want this to be our pursuit, the handing over of ourselves to our Father each and every day. Evangelism is going to look different for most of us. For example, I'm in a very different situation than most of you. I'm not a parent, I don't go to middle school, so reaching those young children, like parents have a huge influence on their children and middle school students with their friends. But wherever we are, we have, um, we have opportunities that God gives us and we need to be faithful with them. God calls out to each one of us here, my son, give me your heart. And when he has our hearts, they begin to look a lot more like his. When our thoughts are saturated by the truths of scripture, we can know what God wants for us. Because the will of God isn't going to be going outside the parameters of his word. And what better place than the Bible to get to know the heart of our Father. I thought about giving some more practical advice for evangelism in this sermon, and I hope that you found some. But I know that this is the best advice that I can give to get others passionate for sharing their faith with others. And that's God's heart. Because evangelism isn't our natural tendency. We don't like to be uncomfortable having weird conversations about personal matters. But God wants our hearts so that he might mold them more into his own. We cannot be molded by the potter if we do not give him the whole lump of clay. I was reminded by an illustration by Charles Spurgeon when I was uh, preparing this. And he gives the illustration from Solomon in his wisdom. These two mothers come to him with one baby and they say, this baby's mine. And the other says, no, this baby's mine. And Solomon says, okay, you guys can't decide on this. I'm going to cut this baby in half. And, oh, yikes. What does the true mother do? Give the other lady the baby. I'm not gonna have half a baby. And so too it is with our Father in heaven. He doesn't want half of a heart for his service. So this goes into a bit of self-reflection. Where are our hearts if we're going to give them over to him? What are our thoughts saturated with? What do our conversations drift towards? What do we spend our time with? I'd like to summarize all that I've said because we have covered quite a bit of ground. We scatter seeds and invest our talents because our master Jesus Christ wants these things to grow while he equips his saints for the work before he comes again. This seed or talents are the good news of Jesus and we are calling others to come and die to this world that they may truly find life as we have found it in Christ. So, God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And then he put man in the garden to tend for it. But it didn't take long after that before Adam and Eve said, God, I don't trust you anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. And they ate the fruit which they were called not to, called to eat. And from that, death entered into mankind, through Adam's disobedience, sin came into the world. But then God made a promise to them. He said, just as I will cover you with these animal skins to cover your nakedness, 
I will send somebody to cover your sins. Yeah, send somebody to cover your sins. A few thousand years later, Jesus comes on the scene. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Father, full of grace and truth. And there is salvation in no other name, because there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. Acts 4.12. And so therefore, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I just thought I should include that, just in case any of us need to hear it, because I know that I need to hear that every day. So I'd like to pray for us. Father, I pray that as we go out from here today, that you would be reminding us of your good gift of salvation, and that we found true life in you. And it's life not like the world might say it, a nice house or a nice car or nice friends, family. But Lord, we get to be called your family. So I pray that as we go on from here, we'd be telling others about this true life, that we, may, that we might scatter seeds for your kingdom, that you might do a work in others' hearts. Amen.